podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Today's guest on the show is Jason Breen. I'm sure you guys know who Jason is, if not by name. Jason, a couple months ago, was out wing foiling, just cruising along when a humpback whale breached and hit him, landed on him, and then subsequently took him underwater after being hit. And if it wasn't for his leash breaking, Jason may or may not be here right now. I mean, it's an insane story. It's an incredible story. And I'm stoked that he came on the show and when he came on the show, because he's now had some time to process the event and can talk us through what happened. And then also, you know, the effects of dealing with that moving forward. I didn't know what the show was going to be like. And I was really stoked. I think this was a great conversation and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So, no uh, no preamble today. Let's just dive right in with Jason Breen. And he's at Jason the Jaw on Instagram. And hit me with questions, comments, feedback. This show is brought to you by Portal Flight Designs. Check out portalflightdesigns.com for all information on the Enigma mid-length that we're doing. Lots of uh, questions about that lately and most of the information is there. So, all right, guys, enjoy the show. Jason, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Good. Thanks, Eric. And thank you for having me on, mate. It's a real, real privilege. Oh, I'm excited to do it. I mean, what an incredible story. Amazing. It was it really is all for everything to line up the way it did. And anyone who's in the ocean will understand it. For it all to sort of line up and be captured and from two different angles and everything, it was, yeah, just an amazing, amazing experience and truly a one in multi-million chance of it ever happening. So, yeah, pretty, pretty privileged, but pretty lucky also to be here, yeah. I, I agree completely. I want to get into all that, but before we do, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us more about you. Start, start wherever you feel it's relevant. Yeah, sure. So anyone who doesn't know me, Jason Breen, and I'm Jason the Jewel on Instagram, but 55 years old, 56, nearly 56, but started foiling, wing foiling basically three years ago, which is how I got into foiling. Yes, it started from scratch like everyone does and then progressed from there. But I've been so lucky and so blessed to have on the northern beaches here where I live in Sydney, Australia, we have some some of the best foilers around. And I was lucky enough to hook up with Zane Westwood yep. and just hanging out with those guys, James, Casey, Zane Westwood, they really just progressed my foiling. So they're so young and just, they're just full on frothers. So they want to go out every two seconds and that's really helped me. Yeah. So to go from winging, then like everyone, everyone goes, I went into suck foiling then. And then into prone because I love surfing and prone's my favorite, I think. It's not the one I'm best at. I'm probably best at winging, but prone foiling is my favorite. And I think it's that addiction to just do better every time that I'm sure everyone who's listening who prone foils will, will understand. But 
Yeah, and I love being in the water. Love where I live here on the northern beaches, Newport and Sydney, Australia. Yeah, and just love to be on the water. That's my happy place. What do you do outside of foiling? Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to have sold a, a company, a landscaping company that I built up three years ago, just actually right in the middle of COVID. I was lucky I got approached by someone and they bought my business. So at the moment, I'm pretty, pretty much retired. I do have a little side business where I try and get unique foiling um, parts and, and that sort of thing. And I do sell wings and stuff on the side. But really, that's a hobby just to keep my brain busy and keep me in the industry. Like I love hearing about new stuff that's coming out. I love to keep my, my nose in, in things and, and find out what's coming out of new stuff. So really, that's just a side hobby for me. Yeah, but apart from being in the water, I'm into healthy stuff, meditation and all about body and soul. So yeah, it sort of keeps me busy, but I try not to get too stressed. I'm trying to keep it live a stress-free life. Love it. I love it. I had a forced retirement a few years ago when we had to move abruptly from Costa Rica and it wasn't for me. <laughs> like very quickly I started finding projects and hobbies and then now have a bunch of stuff going on again. But I think it's smart to 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 keep very active. Yeah, Eric, I think I think it's important. Hey, like as guys said to me, you're too young, but I think it's really important to have something to focus on. And you can't just focus on your sport. So for, for all of us, it's foiling. And for probably most of the guys and girls listening, it's foiling. But I think it's important to have something outside that to keep your brain active on. And, and I think that's good for the mind, the body, and for your brain getting older and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm sure you'll understand it. It's, it, you can't just do nothing. You can't see that I'm going to do nothing. You'll just fade away. So. It keep, keep, keeps my brain active doing a bit of importing, which is what I do. Yeah, and it's just something totally different. I came from a landscaping background, and now I'm importing products from the world. So it's very different. I love it. I think change is incredibly good, too. I feel like, for me, I've been on a five or ten, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur, and it's generally five to ten-year projects, depending on what they are. And then I start to get bored, and I need... And it's, it's too bad too, in, in some cases, because it's generally speaking, once everything's ironed out and smooth sailing is when mentally I'm no longer engaged and I need to move on to the next thing. That also happens to be when things are getting the best financially. <laughs> and so I kind of fight with myself there a lot, but yeah, I, I love, I love that. I love going project to project and getting to learn a whole new skill set, think in a different way. I think it's really healthy to do. I think that more people. I know a lot of people cannot do that from a career perspective, depending on what they do, but I do think it's good to make a massive change every yeah. five to yeah. 10 years and, and reinvent yourself, leave behind mistakes and, and work from the knowledge that you've gained evolve. Yeah, hundred percent, because it's, it's very easy for the human brain knows what it knows and it likes to go back because it's already done it, but to try something new. And to see and to try something that you don't know how it's going to turn out. And it's a little bit, if you could put it a little bit like your very first time on a prone foil board. So you, you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know, am I going to get this in five minutes? Am I going to get this after four waves? Am I going to get this on the first wave and just be one of those guys who gets it straight away? But 
I think it's really good for the brain to do it, to take up that challenge and actually accept it and go, you know what, I'm just here for the journey, so I'm going to do it. And then, and just accept that. And no matter how long it takes or what the journey is, just try and enjoy the journey. And I think that's really important because a lot of people, I think we put these expectations on ourselves about how I've got to be and, and how quick even I've got to pick this up and because everyone else is doing it. But if we can all let, get, let go of those expectations, I think it's a really healthy, growing experience for the brain, the body, the mind, the soul, for everything. And that's why I love foiling because it is so new. Like every time I go out, I think I'm learning something. I like I literally do every time I go out and I love that. And I think a lot of surfers won't. I'll speak to a lot of surfers during the day here on Northern Beaches. We've got a big surf uh, community and, and some of the diehard surfers just don't want to take that first step because they're scared. Like, what if I don't get it and everyone else got it? And it's a funny thing, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever had that over there or it's, it's a funny step to take. But yeah, I wish more people would do it. I absolutely agree. I feel like there is this sunk cost fallacy in regards to a skill set that has been earned over time. And it's hard to strap on the white belt and go back to be your, your especially, I think the better that you are in some cases, um, and this would, we really got into this, it would have a lot to do with collections of self and ego and all this kind of stuff. But the better you are, you've earned a place in the hierarchy of, of surfing and you, you've established something. And then to go and, and start at the bottom and re-enter the water, which is a familiar place, but at a different, a different sport and a different skill level at that sport, that's a hard thing. And I think it stands in the way of, of fun a lot. And it was something that I actually, I was a staunch shortboarder for so long and I was caught in that trap and it took an injury for me to see this, to go to stand up paddling. And then I had so much fun doing that. It just opened my mind to everything else. It's like, what else out there is so incredible that I have been shunning because of whatever belief system I had. Yeah, it's, t- it's totally true. I don't know if you remember, even, can you remember when surfing first came out? Mm-hmm. So I remember Tom Carroll here, TC's mate of mine, he, he, he supped here and it was unusual and it's the unusual as well people get a little bit scared of. So he'd paddle out here even at a local break. He'd be the only sub-surfer and was sort of pretty new here at the time. Um, but because it was unusual, because it was something different, it was, I'd hate to say it, but it was sort of frowned upon. Oh, yeah. But now, now sub-surfing, I mean, you you would know, like, sub-surfing so common now, it's not unusual at all for a different guy paddles out on a sub-board, it's, which I do a lot of, and I love sub-surfing. It's, it's just... You're another guy on the line now. And it's kind of goes foiling hay because the first foilers, and that wouldn't have been me, but the first prone foilers, even over there or in Australia here, like James Casey, imagine battling now. You would have just been a freak, a freak in a good way, but you would have just been so different. I can imagine James on the on the old, old go foil stuff with these massive guy wings that are, it would have been, would have been a sight to see, but it's, yeah, it is real eye-opening and full gratitude to the first guys who did it because far out, man, 
that would have been scary on some of the stuff that were on. One of my first sessions was in Costa Rica on the 84 man, like one of the biggest foils. It might've been 84 square feet. It was so big. And I was, we were in Costa Rica and it was like, we were a trip back to where I used to live and had my whole crew down there, like all my buddies that were lived down there. And I was like telling them I was going to go foiling and literally like five or six of them showed up at the beach with beers to watch me go foil. And within about 15 minutes, I was wearing a helmet, tacoed, hit the foil with my head to the helmet. And, and I walked back up on the beach about 10 minutes later and pretty much to the T, all of them said, that's not something I will ever try. <laughs> it turned away like five or six guys, good surfers, all of them. <laughs> and they got a good laugh out of it. They still, they still bring that up from time to time. But it, it's so funny, is there, how it's evolved? Well, I, I can remember the first, because you walked into a foil shop then, when we all started. And if you've just started, then you know what? You've started in a great time because we've just all learned so much. So oh, you're yeah. going to take foiling up tomorrow. You've got to look at the guys who started this and say, good, good on you. And thanks for doing all the research because it's going to be much easier for me to learn now. Because back three years ago or nearly four years ago, when you walked into a shop, it was like the shop would give you the biggest foil they could. Like they would find the biggest foil and go, you're learning, you need the biggest foil. And I can remember going out on this thing and just going, geez, what is it? And when I look back at it now, I would do the opposite. I wouldn't give someone the biggest foil that just bucks them off and wants to tackle them and just wants to cause harm. That's all all this thing did was wanting to cause you harm. Whereas now, if I had a mate and he said, oh, I want to try prime, should I come out? And I go, yeah, for sure. I give him something small and say, you know what? Even if you do not get on foil today, that's a good thing. Because at least you will have survived. <laughs> um, yeah, it's changed a lot, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really fun to watch. It took a long time. I was the first guy to foil in Jacksonville. Prone anyways. There were some kite guys. And... Yeah. It has grown. It was a slow growth phase at the beginning. And now all of a sudden it's, I mean, it's an exponential curve here. And a lot of the good surfers, not a lot, but a couple, a few of the good surfers are diving in. And once they get it, our waves are so bad that you just are having a hundred times more fun foiling than surfing most days here. They're getting good so quickly and yeah. but they're starting out on gear that's light years better than, than what we got to start out on. And it, it's, in a way, I'm jealous, and in a way, I'm really stoked for them. Yeah, 100%. And you got to remember, I, I don't know about you, but 56, I'm, my brain is a little bit slower than a 20-something-year-old, and they pick it up so quick. And, and part of it is exactly what you just said. Part of it is if we gave them what we learned on, it would slow, it would slow them down. It's so, and a little part of me thinks, what well, they they should be learning on what we learned on. <laughs> but the other part of me is, you know what, good on them. They get it. They progress. And then it's something for me to learn off. I don't mind. If a guy picked, started foiling a month ago and he had something that I can learn, mate, I'm all ears and I'm all here to watch and see if I can learn. I have no resistance to learning. And I think that's a really important part of it any foiler i think if or any i think any sportsman i think if you get to a stage and you go, no i'm it i'm i don't need to learn anything i think that's very sad because there is always 
something to learn. I mean, even James, watching James and Zane, when I first started winning with Zane, he was no good. He'd only just started, but he picked it up and was better than me within a month. He was just that good. And, and I love going out with him and I still love going out with him because now I learn off him and I have done for a long time. He's been, been better than me for a while. So, and I just love that. I love that about sport in general, but I love that about our sport of foiling as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you can extrapolate that lesson out to larger life too, to where, I mean, a lot of the beauty in life is in learning and new experiences and being open-minded. Yep. hundred percent. 100%. Yeah. And I love that. I find that it's things like sport that teach you. I, I learned so much. I bring so much back to kind of general life principles through like the foil dive or other things that I have done, which I find that it's when you dedicate time towards mastery and learn those little pieces along the way. I mean, you're learning technical skills, but you're also learning how to learn. And yep. Yeah, I love I I got really deep into studying the art of like learning and yeah. And I don't I don't think you can shortcut that either, can you? So you can't you can't say oh, I'm gonna skip that chapter of learning and just go from here zero to hero. I think you know, we all have to have that learning chapter in our life and that molds us into what we are as humans doing and, and everything else. And I think I think that learning bit, but I really love that learning bit. Some guys mightn't. Some guys might get on a new sport or even foiling and eating me. So I just want to get to the point. I hear all the time guys say, I just want to get to the point where I can jump around and catch waves. But it's the learning to get there that is the journey. And if you skip that, it doesn't make it something that when you get there, you'll say, you know what, I've achieved that now. If it's too easy and comes so quick, It'll be something that you'll look back on and not appreciate. Whereas if you have to go through the learning experience step by step and, and put the time in, it makes it a really good achievement when you get there. And you know what it's like, that very first time you link away, I don't know about you, but I carried on like a 12-year-old, was making sure everyone saw it, I was yelling out, and then it happened by fluke, I'm sure. And there was probably a really good backwash the duck was out there, but when it happened, oh, I just carried on like a 12 year old that just was as happy as anything. And, oh, it was unreal. And I love that part of it because if you take that away, then what, what is there to achieve and what happiness are you trying to chase? So yeah, I, 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 I mean, now, even if I still wink wave me, I'm still pretty happy. So oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. No, I think the fun is in the journey and it's been interesting. Our surf has been pretty terrible here for the last four to six weeks. And, and I was actually just talking to Mike Pedigo, Flyline, one of my yep. partners here. And the two, I, Mike's probably only foiled once in the last three to four weeks. I've been foiling more than he has, but our stoke levels are, are like probably the lowest that they have been in our, I probably five year he's a little bit ahead of me maybe he's five and a half years of of foiling and i look at the guys who are just getting into it right now and they're going every i mean the waves are shit and they're just sending every day because every day they get better and i'm jealous i wish i could be at that 
phase of stoke in the learning process to where now, I mean, it's, there's so many conditions that it can be good here. It could be great for downlink, it could be great for wing, great for prone, yeah. co. But it kind of has been missing on all of them by a little bit. And we're kind of snobby now. It's like, it's not great for the wing. Well, it's not great for the, I'll just take the day off. I need a rest day. And yeah. miss that fire of needing to send. It's actually been testing gear and, and doing some of the stuff that the protoing and, and all of that. I've been testing some other foil stuff and. That's what's been getting me stoked recently, but it hasn't really been the foiling. I'm, it's going to come back. The waves will come back, but it's been interesting. First time in five years that I felt somewhat nonplussed about sending on crappy days. Yeah, I think it's because you you know what it's like if you have a if I go up the coast here up our New South Wales coast. If I if I go north up the coast, we've got some beautiful foil breaks and we had one where we had uh, a bit of a quiet comp up there the foil fest comp with josh and jeremy and zane and james and, yeah, and adam and wingman it was an unbelievable weekend to, to if i haven't mentioned anyone they were all there all the byron crew the lennox crew it was it was it was kick-ass and we've got some really good waves up there and i think what happens when you go up there and that's one of my favorite breaks and i go up quite often by myself and if I'm up there for three or four days and I get the best foil waves, and then I come back here to the northern beaches where we just have a short up beach break, mm. really hard because guys will go, come on, Jason, let's go for a paddle because they haven't been out. But then I look at it and go, oh, oh my God, I've just had waves that go for like 1.2 kilometers. Why well, aren't going like a 100 meter beach break for? But I think sometimes we have to go, you know what? I'm just going to do it to one to get out there with my mates, and I think yeah. You, sometimes when I do it, I do feel better, even though it might be a shitty session, mightn't be any good, but I do feel better when I do it than when I don't. Yep. Um, so I sort of know where you're coming from. When when it's you can easily look at it and go, oh, it's it's not quite windy enough, and I couldn't be bothered taking a five meter wind wing. I'll wait till it gets windier, and then I take four out. You can do a lot of that, and I think you can get trapped in that sort of bubble as well, and I think it's good to try not to, and even, see, I hear will very reluctantly wing on flat water. To me, it is like mowing the lawn. I hate it. I don't hate it, but I just don't find the enjoyment of going out and getting 30 waves. Much rather be in waves than on the flat water, but Sometimes I think it's good for me just to go out in the flat and practice something or try something or just try and enjoy it for what it is instead of trying to build the stoke levels. I do know exactly what you were saying before. It makes total sense. And it just got cold here too, which is a tough one. Throwing on yeah. the wetsuit. So much harder to throw on the wetsuit. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. We're, we're, we're lucky here with the the weather but how cold does it get there we are at 62 degrees water right now it just dropped in like two weeks from like a 72 to a 62 well, I don't what's know that what in i don't know it's oh. um, three two like all oh, right cold yeah if the, if the weather's nice if it's warm out you're fine in a three two you could be a little chilly if it's if it's if it's cold outside and we've had a lot of like i don't know eight degree days I guess, 48, 50, cold and seeing your breath, 
tasting blood on a downwind run type of stuff. Wow, that's cold. Yeah, 60, 60 Fahrenheit, about 15.5 Celsius. Yeah. So, Russ, for us here, we use Celsius. That is cold, man. It's <laughs> cold. Yeah. We, yeah, we don't get anything like that. If we got that here, you guys would freak out. But that, that's cold. So, kudos to you. That's cold, man. It, it's not cold in comparison to like what guys like Tom Earl and oh. the Hood River guys over the winter still send in dry suits. I mean, that's just mental to me. It's amazing. I saw a clip of Tom Earl on Insta the other day. I'm trying not to go on too much, but I went, I went on the other day and he's got full hood. Yep. He's got full steamer and I look like a, probably a full three booties. Gloves, like he was so the only bit of like skin that was out for the year was his basically his face, and even his mouth was covered. I think with his with his hood. So that's just bizarre for us here in Australia. We're we're very lucky. We don't get anything like that. But I can't imagine trying to move in the west too. It'd be so harder, surely. I drop like fifteen percent of my performance as soon as I throw on a full wetsuit. I feel like. Yeah, and it's got a pumping in that, right? Because even with a 3-2, if we get really cold conditions, we might need a 3-2 here, but usually I get by with a short sleeve 2 mil. That's it, yeah. the whole year. That's the, and I, I can handle a fair bit of cold. But even that, on my legs, I've got skinny little legs, but even, even that fit me. So if you put me in a 4-3, that'd be it. I'd be like Michelin man. I would move anyway. <laughs> I want to hear the story. I've watched oh, it a million times. I mean, thank goodness that you're okay. I mean, that there's so many things that could have happened, but what an experience. And I'll let, I'll let you tell it. And then I've got a bunch of questions. Yeah. So look, it, it started an absolutely beautiful day here. And we knew we were getting a southerly wind. So for us, natural quarters to go and wing in the waves, southerly is perfect, right? So which means that you're coming in on your natural side, your wings in your back here, and I love that. So southerly wind on the northern beaches here is my prime wind. Yeah, and I knew it was coming up the next day. So that morning I got up, beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky, about 10.30, went one beach down from where I live at Monavale Beach. Um, went out with a couple of mates, um, and I literally didn't take my camera. So what happened, I had a brand new wind wing from Bayou, the Aura 2, and I, I thought, you know what, I'll try this today. So I blew it up, brand new wing, four meter, and I, I went out, caught two waves, and I thought, I should go grab my GoPro, see if I can get a shot or something. So I came back into the beach, caught two waves, came back in, grabbed my GoPro, clipped it onto my pocket, and then went back out. And when I went back out past the wave area and turned around to come back in, that's when the, the famous incident happened. I was literally coming back into shore, coming back into the wave area, sorry. And to my right-hand side, I just noticed this thing coming. And I knew it was a whale straight away because there were whales breaching about a kilometre or two kilometres out to sea. And by the size of it, you know it's a whale, right? It, it, it came straight up, which is really unusual, like straight up. And as soon as I saw it, my brain saw it, it, it triggered straight away whale, not shark or anything. And then it just came further and further out of the water, bigger and bigger. And I mean, it happens in sort of three seconds, but it felt like 
down here. Like, I mean, as it got, came out, got bigger, I just thought, I'm in deep shit. Like, this thing's going to come straight down on me. But, so it came vertically up, breached its body, and because whales come up and then breach on their top side, so they flip top side down, blowhole down, mm-hmm. it basically couldn't have cleaned me up any better if it had tried. It just 100% T-boned me. Yeah, and that, and that's what happened. And then, unfortunately, it got caught around my wing leash, which I have the Dyneema one, which is never, ever going to break. And then for, I had it on my wrist, and I never, ever have a wing leash on my wrist. It always goes to my waist. But for that morning, because I just ran in and came back out, I forgot the waist bill. And I thought, oh, bugger it. I couldn't be bothered going back up. I'll just chuck it on my wrist. And... When the whale breached and landed on me and came down, my wing was on one side of the whale and I, and I was on the other with my leash going under it. And when it dove down, that's honestly when I thought I was, I, I honestly thought this is it. I'm dead. Can't do anything. Yeah. I'm dead. I mean, that's immediately what I saw when I watched it the first time was how lucky you are that, I don't know if the leash broke, I don't know exactly what happened, but that, I mean... The whale would easily have been able to just dive down and take you with him. And yeah, in so that moment, with that amount of adrenaline, I don't think that breath hold's going to last very long. No. Nah, and what, what happened, buddy? It, when it hit me and, and sort of winded me and then went down, all I could feel was the massive whale against my face. Like my face and body was just against the whale. And it was quite smooth. It wasn't barnacly, which is, thank God. And that's the point where I thought I was gone. Now I've climbed it because everyone's asked that, and this is the first place where I'll say it, but it, it, I was down for about 14 seconds. Wow. Sorry. And video, it looks longer because, but I did actually get to come up and have a breath, but my hold down was about 14 to 15 seconds and probably, probably 15 to 20 feet. Um, so the depth of the whale itself, I'm underneath it, plus the depth of it going down. The whale doesn't, when they breach, they don't breach and then float. They breach and then dive. And that's the time when I thought, I didn't think of undoing the leash. I didn't think of doing anything. I just thought I was dead. I honestly thought, this is it. I'm dead. I couldn't do anything. And I was probably, mate, I was probably five seconds away from taking a breath of water. And the first water breath you take, you'll die because you'll just drown. So I was very lucky. And what actually happened, the webbing on the calf ripped. So because it was a wrist cup, which if you've ever used one on a wing, it sort of loops through a, uh, like a, a bit and then come wraps around on itself with the Velcro, that was never going to rip off. So the only way that it was going to come off was to rip the actual webbing, which is what it did. So I'm so grateful that it ripped and, and very lucky that I survived it. Wow. That's, that, that, that's a kind of from watching the video, that's, that's exactly what I was afraid of happening. And thank God that it, it ripped. I mean, how many times have you thought about that moment since? Quite a bit. Like, to be honest, it, the first few days, it was a media friend. People asked, and they said, "What?" 
are you back in the water? And being the typical macho Aussie guy, yeah, yeah, I'm back here. And I haven't got any fear and everything else. But to be honest, and I've never said this before until now, but I'm petrified. I've I've hardly done anything in the water. Mates are rigging me and asking me, and I'm throwing excuses out left, right, and centre. But was adrenaline for the first week. Then I had a lot of media for two weeks. And then the last couple of weeks, I'm just trying to find where I belong again in the water. It's it's been mentally really hard, really hard. Like it's something that I absolutely love. And I know the whale was not there to harm me and had no malice. I know that. And I also know that it was one in a million chance for us to both be in that speck of water at that time. But has it affected me? hundred percent. It's, it's, we went out once here in our local break in Newport and I pedaled out past the break to go for a wing. I thought, well, I'm going to get out there. And I did it, um, pedaled out and pedaled straight back in again. I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. So I've been, yeah, been quite reserved into myself and everything. And yeah, but it has affected me. So I do think about it and it has affected me a fair bit, mate, to be honest. I think it would be surprising if it hadn't. Yeah. You know, because there's so many layers to it, right? I mean, one is the the one in a million, probably one in a billion chance. I mean, how many people have been uh, taken out by a whale while doing a water sport? It's not a large group of people. But then also the way in which it happened and, and getting basically attached to the whale as it dove. I mean, that's that's the stuff of nightmares and and just being around animals that big is also an interesting experience and i have uh, i was fortunate enough in costa rica to be on a spear dive trip one time when whale sharks came through and was able to swim with whale sharks and actually got some rides on on them but just being next to a creature that big is it's a powerful experience i can't imagine had I been attached to the whale shark and it been swimming down, what that would have felt like though, right? Like, yeah, it's pretty it, heavy. It's like, yeah, it's, you hit the nail on the head, Eric. It's, it's, if you get held down in the surf. So if you, any surfer knows and any foiler who surfed knows, if you, if you pop a set on the head, you can get that feeling of being held down. But the feeling of held down at that time, your arms are flailing, your legs are kicking, and you're trying to get to the surface. So your body is actually doing something to to try and get you out of the situation you're in. But the situation I was in, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I had my arm pulled around it. I was under it, and I had a mass which I cannot explain. Like, it's just a massive mass. Like, even when it hit me, it breached and hit me in the chest. It's a mass that you, there's no, not, nothing from me is going to resist that mass. Like it was, it was like a truck. I mean, I've never been hit by a truck. It was, it was something that you just have no power over. And I think that submittance of whether I was underneath it, under the water, I just couldn't do anything. And I think that's the bit that's affected me the most. Not, not the whale, Eric, because we know, right? That whale shark and the what they're so graceful. They don't want to hurt you. It had no malice. It was not trying to eat me. But I think, as you were saying with the whale shark, just that massive body under the water, you have no control. 
if that whale shark wanted to go left, you're going left. If it wanted to go right, you're going right. If you were under the whale shark and you wanted to go down, you are going to go down. It's Yeah, it's just the, the mass of it and the situation I was in. Yeah, you just have no power. The, 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 the whole story on that one is actually kind of interesting because I was down on a dive and it made me to pales in, in comparison to your story, but it, it was funny. My, my buddy's got a laugh out of it. I was down on a dive and um, probably not too deep, 35 feet, something like that, coming up off the reef. And as I'm coming up, I could hear my dive partner banging on his gun, which is kind of like how we warn each other of something. And right. So I'm coming up and I turn around and right as I turn around, the whale shark's face was in my face and I came up and kind of hit him on the way up. And it was a completely benign half second experience, but there was a half second where as I turned, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and yeah, I was, my, my buddy was joking that it was good. I was wearing brown baggies. Yeah. 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 Cause it, that's right. I mean, to be honest, I'm, the, the the old saying of shit yourself really yeah. and that's what it is and it's it's you would have freaked out because it's it's just not something you see every day right yeah. and and I don't know about you but underwater they're so much they're just so much bigger yeah they're just a massive massive creature but yeah and and the unusual thing about my experience as well was look it could have I could not have Maybe I didn't go in and get my GoPro. Maybe a random guy on the headland didn't get the footage. I don't know if you've seen that, but even yeah. that's bizarre. Maybe he didn't get that. And I come in and I tell my mates, and maybe today I might be a bit better about it because no one would have believed it, and that's only my experience. I, I, I don't know, but it's, I'm glad I do have the footage because it does raise awareness that we are in there, that's their playground, that's their home, and we're lucky enough to share that with them. And whether it's whale sharks, whether it's whales, whether it's dolphins, porpoises, turtles, whatever, I, I just, I have huge respect for the ocean's creatures, and I love all animals. I'm just an animal lover, but it is their home. So we do take a little bit of a risk every time we enter the water to do our sport of foiling, it's just what it is. But for that incident to happen and to be filmed and captured from two different angles is just just a one in a million or multi-million chance. But it's but if we can raise a bit of awareness about it and and just so people are aware that these these animals out there and we get a lot of whales here, Eric, migrating and we're getting more and more each year, which is really nice to see. Mm. And and it's just, yeah, nice to know that they're out there. And I think we can raise awareness, then, it, then it's a good thing. That's maybe a good thing to come out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that happening. I, I had another experience while we were in Costa Rica spear diving, and it was actually probably the dumbest trip I have ever been on in a boat. And I just moved to Costa Rica. I had been there for about a year. And I had just gotten into spear diving and I think it was my second trip going out and a buddy calls me. He's like, Hey, we're going out with a friend. And this friend used to be a, like a Navy SEAL, like incredible waterman, like a legit, yeah. like Navy guy. And he's like, yeah, he's got, he's got a little boat. We're going to take out from 
Palada, which is this little beach that was right next to ours. So I drive down there and I show up and he's got this dinghy that it's been so tore up that it's all just filled with, it's like a rib and inflatable, but it's so tore up. It's all just filled with foam. They just like filled the whole thing with foam. So it would float. And the motor had no cowling and it looked like it was from like 1980. And so I'm hopping on this boat thinking, all right, well, we're probably not going out too far. Like did no, no investigation. I'm like the the other guy on the trip. I just kind of got the late call and we take the boat out probably two and a half, three miles. Now, mind you, like you could probably make a three mile swim, but with the way the currents work on this coastline, you probably couldn't make it. I mean, it would be, it would be a coin flip if you could make it against yeah. the current because there's so much current out there. And it was just a series of unfortunate events. But while we were out there, we had, and I think they were humpbacks come through two of them. Like we're, we're, we're about to like, we're looking for the reef and all of a sudden we could start hearing something that was kind of making the boat vibrate. And yeah, didn't know what it was. And my buddy is like, I'm going to jump in and see what that is. And he was like looking for the reef at the same time. So he jumps in and there's a mom and a cat right next to us. Wow. This thing comes up and this dinghy, the boat that we were in was probably 11 feet. It might be like the record for the farthest out you've been on such a boat in the ocean. <laughs> and the thing, the thing comes up, it didn't breach, but it came up and rolled. And yeah. as it rolled, it was as wide as our dinghy was long it seemed like yeah and it yeah. was it was it was really it was super scary that's something i haven't thought about for a long time but and how yeah. big are they so big hey like that yeah look like it's by far the biggest creature in the ocean right and i think it's believe yeah, it is the blue whale is the biggest animal in the world but that whale or any whale they just massive and it's just a mass isn't it to see it that close so you're really lucky to hang that experience and see it it didn't feel lucky <laughs> that was one trip the motor didn't want to start then after we we finished diving we only dove for half an hour the water was such it was probably the happiest i've ever been to be back on land <laughs> it would be ever. yeah and i <laughs> i never really went out with yeah in that group again i I would always make sure that we were going out on a nice panga and it's like yeah yeah with the motor with the cowling at least yeah i was the only guy who like had kids on the trip like life was in a very different place yeah dude that's funny that's great i think that probably one of the things i'm thinking about your experience and maybe your reaction to it i think obviously incredibly natural i also think that Every once in a while, we have moments that remind us of how quickly things can happen. And I think yeah. for me that that's always the hardest thing. But you wake up in the morning and, and you, you're going to have an experience. And thank goodness that that experience ended positively. But it could have easily happened and gone in a different direction. And there's what happens in the blink of an eye. And I feel like those things have always given me a little bit of existential fear. Um, yeah. After, after having yeah. something like that, hundred percent. Because when say we're going foiling today, and, and whether it's winging, prone, sup, downwind, the, I, I mean, I'm speaking generally. I would think the biggest fear is the foil. So the biggest fear most guys would have is I don't want to get hit by the foil. Whether I'm no matter what I'm doing keep the foil away from me 
And that that would be your biggest fear of foiling, right? Is coming home going, oh, yeah, I got hit in the shin or I got hit in the arm or whatever. But at no stage, I don't think, anyway, does anyone think, oh, gee, I better be worried today and might get hit by a whale. Like, I don't think that crosses your brain, right? So when something like that happens, it's something you're just unprepared for and I had no idea. There's no no resources to check back on to go, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do right? That's just just an unusual thing. Yeah, and it's a funny thing. I've got to give a bit of a shout out. Sean Bulno, I don't know if Sean, he he's he did a, about three months ago, something triggered with me and I went, you know what, I, I need to do one of those the breath hold courses. Matt Davies, you might have seen it. He's been working with Sean a lot when he when he just recently filled Nazarene. He actually just recorded, and that will be released this week. So you're oh man, I'll be shout out shout out to Matty, and he he's a mate as well. And he he he's been doing this work with Sean. And three months ago, even before Matty started, or might be a bit longer ago, he. I said to Sean, would you do this thing with me? I'll get a few mates and we'll go and do it. And he said, yeah, I'll do it for you, Jason. All right. So having have done that, I really believed helped me as well. Did I use anything I learned in that? No, but subconsciously, maybe, subconsciously, maybe I knew that I could hold my breath for a certain amount of time before tapping out. So... Yep. Was it worth doing 100%? Would I recommend doing something like for all foilers or ocean people? 100%. We we had a great day. It's things where you start off very basic with some land work and then you go into the ocean with dumbbells and you run along the bottom and you have a few tag team relay things and then at the end of it, you do some really cool stuff like you've got to swim and dive down and and solve a puzzle almost. You've got to undo these knots and, and shackles and that on weights at the bottom of the ocean and you can't come up before you do it. So you have to engage your brain while you're holding your breath and while you're in that panic mode. And and I believe it helps really do. I don't know in what way. As I said, I didn't get hit by the whale and go, right, I've just been hit by a whale. Now I'll just click in and remember what Sean told me. I don't, I don't think your brain works like that, but it may have recalled on some sense of calm, some sense of, oh, it's only been 10 seconds or I can do a bit longer. And so, yeah, I'm pretty grateful to have done that as well. And for that to have lined up before this incident was, was pretty special as well. I think, I think. If I hadn't have done that, maybe a few seconds later, because everyone knows a hold down in surf, it's usually four seconds, five at the most. If you go under a set, and, and it might feel like a minute for most surfers, but a lot of just general day hold downs in surf is usually about four to five seconds. And then when you start getting the big surf, Jaws, Biahi, everything else, they're, they're much longer. But even 15 seconds, 14 to 15 for me was, that was it. It felt like a very, very long time. So, yeah, I don't know if you've been held down for long, but it's, it's 14 to 15 was a long time after just being cleaned up. But yep. yeah, shout out to Shawnee anyway. 14, 15 seconds is an eternity. 
before I moved to Costa Rica, growing up in Florida, I was never comfortable in bigger surf. And I would do a trip year <clears throat> to surf bigger waves, but never felt good. And I was a little bit anxious because I knew when we were going to move down there that I was going to start charging a lot more. But that always yep. had fear in the back. And I figured the best way to conquer that fear would be to kind of really understand like the limits of what I was capable of and then just work within those limits. And so I did a whole lot of like apnea training on a bike. I actually kind of almost passed out on a bike one time, which was an interesting experience because it happened at a time when I didn't think it was going to happen. So I learned a lot from that. And, but the other thing that I did, and I think Dave Kalama and I talked about this on the podcast. Actually, it's really funny because Kalama told the story of him doing basically the same thing on the podcast. And Pete Cabrina told it from his side because Dave called him right after, after he, he like basically almost passed out driving his car <laughs> or doing a bunch of training on the beach and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, I would run like sprint 50 meters fat, like all out hundred percent blow out all my air and see how long I could hold my breath. Cause I figure that's going to be the highest heart rate you're ever going to hit in the ocean. And just account for the fact that you've got no air in your lungs and see what's possible. And I was at about a 15 to 17 second breath hold. And so yep. then I started timing hold downs in the ocean. And yeah, you're right. They were never generally 15 seconds. Uh, uh -huh. We feel a lot better. Like at my very worst, I should be able to hold my breath 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, and it's the unknown, right? Yeah. So, because a wipeout happens so quick, even foiling, when we're proning, if you, you take it, do a takeoff that's a little bit steeper than you're not used to or something and something happens. There's usually a couple of factors. One, you get winded if you're going to fall an awkward way or backslap or whatever. So you're getting winded. And then two, if you then held down for a bit, you're out of breath. So your analogy of going for running flat out so if you, is, is perfect. Because if for normal people just to sit here and go, oh, I can hold my breath 15 seconds. Yeah, that's all great. But do what you did, or as you say, even on a board, pedal the hill, then Yep. Try and hold it. It's a totally different scenario, right? Yep. No, I mean, it's, it's such a different thing. Static and active holds are, are so like at that time I was doing four minute static holds and my flat out no air was about 15 seconds. I mean, yeah. so I, I don't even know how much they really, I think it's good to do static holds because you get to experience like what happens in different stages of oxygen deprivation. Yep. And not a doctor. There's guys like Sean and other people that that study this stuff. I read the book, the, the book Breathe, which I thought was a great book. But yeah, I think training in these things, it, the familiarity that you get with experience allows you to, but nothing's going to ever account for, I just got hit by a whale and like the yeah. going on in your mind at that at that moment, right? Yeah, that, that that's you're exactly right because it, it is just something so unusual. It's just just one of those freaky things. And I was, as I said before, going back, it it's I was lucky enough to have a, a guy called to Paul Nettlebeck who who was filming from he grabbed his coffee one morning, was walking out to the headland with his phone. Everything's done on phone these days. I was just filming and just went, oh, there's a guy wing falling. I'll film him. And then even to have that was weird. And he actually stopped filming to ring triple O. So he, because he didn't see me come up, he 
if anyone's seen that footage, the headlamp shot, he he stopped filming, rang Triple R and said, I think I'm just seeing a guy get killed. Yeah, so it was yeah, definite, definitely a unique experience, that's for sure. So, so that happens. Your leash breaks, thank goodness. Yep. You have a leash on your board. Like, how'd you get back to the beach? That's a part of the yep, story. That ripped off. So the leash on my board ripped off my ankle because it was just a basic cup that comes yep. off my webbing on my wrist leash rip that's the force it was under so the actual webbing around your cuff rip and if then it didn't rip i'd be gone because the dynamo was never ever gonna break that's like rope right that just wasn't gonna break and my dynamo goes onto a stainless steel shackle and it's an eight mil stainless shackle that was bent straight so even it wasn't going to let go. And when I came in, the hook on the, on the carabiner was bent out. So like bent straight. So that's the kind of force we're talking. Anyway, but I do come up to the surface, you know, say those words, shit, I've just been hit by a whale. And I grabbed my GoPro and sort of did that. And then I came into shore, winged into shore. And there was about, there were a few people there and they were just making sure I was okay because they saw it. They saw me going along when I'm not that far off the beach, maybe 300 meters, 200 meters. So they saw me going along and then they saw a whale breach, a big splash, and they didn't see anything for a bit. So they also rang emergency services. And then I came in and I was okay. And one of them was still on the phone to emergency services. And I said, look, I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not, there's no abrasion. I'm okay, so they don't need to come out. And I've never been in shock before, but I was in shock. I, I grabbed my stuff, went to the van, told my mates what had happened. They called BS straight away. I just didn't believe me. I don't know. It's a good Aussie thing. All right, just got cleaned up by a whale. And they're going, yeah, sure, whatever. It's put my stuff in that news. I get home and I'm sitting at home, shaking like a leaf. So I'm at home by myself, shaking like a leaf. Didn't even check my GoPro, just sort of was trying to have something to eat. And my phone started pinging, and, and, and it's we're on this chat, and a lot of chat, Zane and James and a lot of the other guys from Northern Beaches here, and, and they're all pinging about this guy that's just been cleaned up by a whale. What happened? The guy that filmed it from the headland put it straight on Facebook, and he said, if anyone knows this guy, um, and he's okay and alive. Could they let me? Could they let me know? And from there, that part of the footage and story started getting out. And within an hour, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced this, but within an hour, my phone lit up like a Christmas tree. And and we've, we've still got no GoPro footage so far, so I still haven't checked it. So even just from his footage, I had guys from. Four TV stations ring, radio stations ring. Just from his bit of footage, they all wanted a piece. And by that afternoon, I'd found my GoPro, went through it, went, geez, bloody hell, I had got some pretty good stuff here. And then from there, it's, it's an onslaught for about two weeks. And a lot of questions, the main question I get asked, Eric, is, did I make money? So there's two ways to do these things when it happens. One, you make money out of it by keeping the footage and charging people to go on a YouTube thing or, or to release license the video. Mm-hmm. Or two, you let it go for free and let everyone learn, absorb it, 
get something out of it, what, whatever they like. And I chose the free option. So the answer to the question that everyone asked me, I didn't make a cent. It was never in my never in my thought process to make money. It just wasn't part of it. It was an event that happened that I was lucky enough to survive. And if I could come away with it with my life and my health, that is my winning. So from there, mate, it just became an absolute media frenzy. I mean, I've never been involved in it. Have you ever been involved in anything like that? No. It was nuts, mate. So it, I didn't sleep for three nights because the first night, second night, Europe and, and America wanted, wanted, wanted me to do stuff. So I'm talking 1 a.m. NBC, 2 a.m. Ireland, 3 a.m. Paris, 4 a.m. Um, Italy. It was nuts. So I did about 50 interviews in about 10 different languages. Well, I don't speak 10 languages, but I had interpreters. And, and then it just, it just went viral and it went viral because I let it go for free. And that, that's okay with me. I never came out of it to, to go, I'm going to make money out of this. It was never a thought process of mine to make money out of it, but it is the first question everyone asks. My close friends hopefully ask, are you okay? But most general public go, do you make money? So yeah, def- definitely did make money. Yeah. And just happy to have survived it, but the media on thought for anyone who's ever been involved in anything like that, it was, it was pretty heavy. Hey, the two weeks, like pretty heavy, what they want, like a, a pretty, they just want their bit. And I can understand that. And I was accommodating. So it was the only thing I could have said no, but, but it was a pretty full on two weeks. And I'm, I guess thinking about that, you have a heavy experience. It turns into this viral thing. Did that delay processing the event for you? Hundred percent, mate. So the problem was because I had to be so upbeat and so I'm okay, and the old Aussie going back in the water. Year I'm back in the water, and that really delayed it. So I only started processing this maybe a week ago, and or two weeks ago, and that's it. Took three weeks for all that to die down, and then the magazines and everything else. And then in the last two weeks is the only time I've had to myself and, and been allowed to process it. Mm-hmm. I've done a few weird things like whether you like it or you don't, I don't really care because it's my body, but I, I've never had a tattoo. I don't know if you have tattoos, Eric, but I'm 56 years of life, never gone through thinking I want a tattoo, but I've actually got like three tattoos now on my left arm and they're all to do with my background and um, protection in water and and safe travels and everything else. So I have a lot of patterns in that on my arm now, and it's just something that I can connect with. As I say, some like it, some don't, but it's something that I've processed, and I can wake up and and it's something that I have because you do lose, and I I really feel for guys who are in the spotlight every day, and I'm certainly not, but you do lose a sense of um. It, it's it's almost like your story gets stolen, and and it certainly didn't, but it almost is because what happens? There's been magazine pages, there's been articles, there's so much on YouTube and everything else, but they make it up, or I mean, they never me out of out of maybe 
I think it's had over a hundred million views worldwide in every country that has a mobile phone. So I'm talking, you're going to be buying Russia, Ukraine, what? They've got a war going on, but they want to hear about this whale going like it's, it's insane. So you do lose a little sense of identity. I did, did that for sure. Yeah. I, I can see that. And it's also, it's you, but it's hyper focused on an event, which yep. is just a fraction, a small fraction of who you are. And so, right. yeah, I, I can see that being somewhat. I don't know what the word for it is, but but a strange, strange way for uh, you're the whale guy in that regard, right? And I, and I don't mind being that, Eric. Right? It's fine. I'm okay with it, and I'm processing it as I go. And, and I'm okay with that. And it, was it my choice to do all the media stuff? Yes, it was. So right, that that's okay, and I'm okay with that too. But was it a different learning process? or a different way for me to process the information. Yes, it was. And it was very different. And, and I think if someone else has been through it, they'd understand it and and they may have handled it differently. But telling the story so repetitiously over that first two weeks, like I'm fine with you now, but for that first two weeks, and and they don't want to know your life. You're you're exactly right. I mean, we, we've talked about lots of things today, which has been so nice, but they're under, they want to hear the whale story and then you're off. And then they want to release that to their network. It was, it was, it was at the time there, you're, you're running on adrenaline and, and it's all new and fancy and fantastic. And the end of it, you do need a little bit of time to process it and, and find out where you are as a person and, and make sure you're okay and, and traveling in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Are you doing anything consciously outside of the tattoos to, you know? I, I, it's, yeah, a little bit. It's, I'm t- trying to, I'm reconnecting with some fam, doing some family stuff. And it's, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's, you know, you have the experiences and it's, um, does open up into maybe doing some things or reconnecting in some places that you wouldn't have done previously just by putting an excuse in the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm doing that now, and I, I really appreciate that. So, look, these are the really good things to come out of it. Would I be chatting to you if it didn't happen? No, and I love chatting to you. To, to be on chatting to you is a real privilege to me. So there are a lot of really good things to come out of it, and i just got to focus on those, I think, and which I'm trying to do now, and I'm a lot more positive now about it. And the water part will come back. It's just... It's just me getting my mojo back and flow back and confidence and, and then we'll come back and it'll all happen again, which is fine. And I know, yeah, there's some new foils coming out, so it'll be good. I'll be able to get some new toys and, and go and play for sure. That was a value wing? Yeah, it was a value wing and I actually ride lift and I love the lift foils. And, and it's funny, I've heard on a previous podcast Jeremy said, a lot of the good guys make something good. They'll grab a foil and make it good. And the reason I'm mentioning that is, and no way am I good, but I tend, I love lift because of the guys. So we got two Aussie guys here, Paul Green and James Crawley, who, who they're lift foils Australia. Mm-hmm. And for me, 
I love these two guys. That's why I ride lift. And so whatever I get, I'm happy to ride and I just make it work and I love it. And, and that's half of it for me. Half of it is the foils and the other half's the people behind the foils. And I'm sure you would appreciate that as well. If, if you've got a really good foil, if the uni comes with the best foils and you ride the new procession, but they're, I'm not saying they are, so please don't say, but if they're absolute dickheads, you're going to go, it's sort of sours a bit, right? But if they're really nice guys from uni and you go, these guys are unreal, they're great to gaze with, they listen to feedback and they bring out good foils, then you go, mate, this is unreal. And that's for me what lift, lift is for me. It's just as much the guys as it is the foil and I love them. So yeah. They, they are good foils too. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's it, mate. And it's got a big saying for that because we all, a lot of us here on go foils for a while, James and Zane and we fed off those guys because they were the elite. So a lot of us were riding go for because they were, and that was certainly my my circumstance. And then when James sort of left and he went to Axis, and then Zane left and I knew, and then he went to Lift. And then I just love I love watching Zane. I, I think of all the guys foiling, he's I don't know if you've ever seen him foiling live, but his style and his flow and his general human beingness, if that's a word, he, he, it's just, I just love it. He's, he's always got time for everyone. He's, he never, I don't know if you've found this, but the really good guys never talk about themselves. Never. And Zane Westwood is one of those guys. He never, ever talks himself up, never talks about, I just went out and ripped. He's just so, there for the froth and the experience. Yeah. But he does, he does rip. That's for sure. Yeah. If not the best top five, easy. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking style too. Hey, Eric, like, like Zane is very different to James. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're at Point Plummer, we had, I had Zane, James and Adam and a lot of really other good guys. From other four companies, so there was a lot of other good guys there. Lukey was there from Heat Rides Access and really good quieter and there were cams and everyone else. But to watch those guys, mate, wave after wave was unreal because they were all different. Hey, like Adam's style is different to Zane. Zane and then Zane's style is different to Adam. And then James is completely different again. But do they all do things where you and I would sit, well, definitely me, would sit there and go, far out there, that was next level. And it was, it was next level. It was unreal to watch. Like, it's so good. And I was lucky enough to be judging it at the time. So it was, it was really cool. That's amazing. I think Vio should send you free gear for life. That's right. That's what I reckon. Yeah. I'm going to put that out there. I don't know if you guys listen to the show, but. He just proved that your wings are strong enough to not get, to not, to not break pop if a whale lands on them. And, and I don't think any of the other team riders are sending that kind of commitment. So, and it's, it's funny because wing soiling, no one had heard of it. And nearly every interview, I've got to be honest. So I did China, Japan, Italy, France, and they're going, what? Wing foiling? What's wing foiling? I said, do you mind if we just call it windsurfing? I just get up in the end. I said, whatever. 
it is actually wing foiling, but whatever, call it whatever you want. And I tried to get the point across that if you've got, I had a Japanese guy who couldn't speak English with an interpreter that I couldn't understand, and I'm trying to explain the wing foiling. This is never going to happen, <laughs> let alone if he hit by a whale and explained that experience. So it sort of, it did get foiling out there, a wing foiling out there, which is great. It's great for the sport and, and everything else. So, but I'm with you, mate. I should be on some value life membership thing. I agree. I agree. I was just thinking back to your comment about you don't go out thinking that you're going to get hit by a whale, but we are going into the ocean and it's not our ocean. I think about yeah. that a lot in regards to downwinding. I mean, yeah, essentially, we don't look at it in these terms. But it is essentially the same as deciding to go on a run through like an African safari area. 100%. And I knock on wood, there haven't been huge issues and maybe there never will be. But it's part of what I love about downwinding and winging is that it does feel like a real adventure, but it feels that way because it is a real adventure at, at some level, right? Yeah, 100%, mate. You're, you're totally right. Downwinding is probably the one, whether you're downwind paddling or downwind with a wing, it is the one where you are out in their real habitat. And we have a lot of sharks here in, in Australia and especially in Sydney, and it's not unusual for us to see four sharks on a, on a downwind run or just even on a wing event if we're going out to one of the outside reefs. I've had a mate cruising next to me and completely went head over tit. And I thought, what happened? And got up and he guessed, I just cleaned up a shark. So he's just like literally hit a hammerhead cruising along the top. But you are right. It is, we don't think about it in those terms, but downwinding is probably the discipline that is most, not at risk, but needs the most awareness put into it that you really are out there where they want to play. And it's a lot of things, right? Whales, turtles, sharks, dolphins, but this whales are one of the big things. And so many guys, the guys here have come back after doing a downwind run just on the beaches and said, me, and I got close to a whale. And the difference is most whales out there, you know, do that thing where they swim along, Eric, and you see the hump of their back. They do their blowhole and then they go down again. That's what you see most in a whale. A little bit like you in the, with the put together dinghy, you know, yeah. you're out there and the whale comes up and it rolls on its belly and it's a real big, but slow moving experience. And that's generally what whaley, when you see a whale in downwinding, that's generally what you're going to come across. Um, mine was just really freaky that it came up from the deep vertically. <laughs> Um, in the year and just T-boned me. So, um, but it is a good, good point that as long as we can have that awareness, I think it's a good thing to have to go into that saying, I'm going down Wednesday from here to here. And as long as I'm prepared and aware that they're out there, then it's, then it's a good thing maybe just to have the five or 10 second thought process of just so you've got the, the awareness that if, if something happens, you know what to do. Do you normally wear a life jacket when you wing? I'm the worst at safety. My wife hounds me all the time. I don't wear life jackets, best, anything. I am the worst and I'm a bit of a risk taker. So I 
it's not unusual for me to go up the coast and I'll say to my wife, drop me here. We've just had lunch and I'll see you 15, 20 Ks down the coast. Mm-hmm. No phone, no nothing, which is, it's, it's getting a little bit silly, but it's just how I sort of have done things. She'll drive down and, and I will end up coming in. And it, for me, that adrenaline rush of being out there with no consequence. So you need to be able to make the location in the end. I do get a, an adrenaline buzz out of it. And that's, yeah. But looking at it again now, maybe a few more safety precautions, like at least a mobile phone should um, maybe be traveling with me. Yeah. Or I mean, a life jacket would probably be. And and that's something that I don't really do downwinding or, but this would have been a perfect situation for that. I'm I'm rethinking a couple guys here have just started wearing the, I don't remember the brand, but it's what everybody wears. Oh yeah. The the like self-inflating type one that no not the self-inflating ones like it's the one that i think that zane wears when he's downwinding oh yep yep that brand like a voikobi thing there you go voikobi that's it yeah i think i'm gonna order one of those after this well maybe if we mention voikobi again we won't have to order them (laughs) you went up and (laughs) actually not the guy from voikobi so pat if you're out there there you go eric the head to finish (laughs) Yeah, mate, they are. Look, I think it's, I think it's important to check a bit of safety in hay. Like it's most of the guys here now are pretty good. They've all got phones and, and those yep. on and really you should have them if you're out there and it's not just for you. It's if a mate gets in trouble as well and you've got to jump in the water, well, you're going to want some type of flotation. Otherwise he's just going to put you down. But yeah, that, that sort of stuff will definitely cross my mind a bit more now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't ever do a downwinder or like a like a, a wing session where I'm covering any distance without the Apple Watch because I can make phone calls on it if something were to happen. That's my yeah. yep. baseline yep. safety right there. Yeah, and that, that's important. As long as we do that, that, um, that, that's important for sure. For sure. This has been epic, Jason, having you on. I didn't know what to expect coming in and it's been an incredible right. conversation. So I appreciate you doing it with me. Oh, thanks heaps, Eric. I wanted to, I've been asked actually to do a few podcasts, but I wanted to do yours just because I, I really like it, to be honest, and it was my choice. So, but yeah, thank you so much for your time and for having me on and anyone who's listened, I hope you get something out of it. Yeah. Um, what do you want to leave folks with? Oh, look, I just want to leave folks with be kind. I know this is going to sound really out there, but just be kind. And I think it's important to. This is something completely different to foiling, but if you've got mates out there, guys are really funny with mental health and girls, but mainly guys. So if you've got mates out there, or, or just keep checking in. If you've got a mate that's missing out on a few sessions or they've asked him to go prone and he keeps saying no or whatever, just check in, mate. Make sure everyone's okay. And I think apart from foiling, which we all love and we all froth on, yeah, just check in every now and again. You know, if, if you see something a little out of the ordinary, because it doesn't hurt, right? Just to check in. Are you okay? Is everything okay? You can always call me, whatever. And I think if we can all do that a little bit more, then that's a good thing for, for everyone to do. And just froth. keep frothing on foiling. Keep loving it. Keep loving everyone out there. And just, yeah, I love it, mate. Absolutely love it. Jason, thank you very much. This has been epic.
thanks for coming here to tell the story. And I'm like, I, I know that the story was a, was an incredible part of the conversation, but I feel like there are so many nuggets in here outside of, of that. So it's a good one. Thanks, mate. You have a good day and thanks heaps for having me on. Cheers. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.